what I'm sharing about today is forgiveness and mercy and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's the greatest feast for Israel once a year. But in talking about forgiveness and mercy, it was the time when John the Baptist, the messenger that had been sent by God to prepare the way before Jesus, was preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins that would come through Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that scripture there is in Luke 7, 29. It says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared that this was just, God was just, and all were baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. And one of those Pharisees, who had rejected the teaching of John the Baptist that day, afterwards invited Jesus to his house for a meal where there were many guests. And among them was a woman of the city who was one of the people who had repented and been baptised along with some of the other guests. These dinners were often open and public. And though for the Jewish community, with local, regional guests, with many topics, many topics of the day were discussed. Luke 7 verse 36, we see that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with the tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him to, to come to his particular dinner, when he saw this happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And when it says that she was a woman of the city, it can also be translated a woman of the streets. But she was well known in the locality and people knew what sort of a woman she was. So Jesus answering said to Simon, that was the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, 
Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So now let's have a look at this and sum it up. The Pharisee that had invited Jesus to his house and many of the company that were there would have rejected the call to repentance and the offer of baptism from John. And there would have been an awkward division in spirit between those who had accepted John's teaching about Jesus and those who had scorned it. And they were all there invited to this dinner. Nonetheless, because of the growing reputation of Jesus as a prophet and a teacher and as well as the reports of the working of signs and wonders, there was due respect given to him by the host and by the other guests that were there. So he was like an honoured guest, but under suspicion. When the woman began to wash and anoint the feet of Jesus, the Pharisee, whose name was Simon, said to himself, that's what the scripture said, he said to himself, either by muttering or just by thinking silently, that Jesus and his behaviour was scandalous. And as the host, he was aware that the other guests who were also looking askance at the spectacle would also be embarrassed. Now, whether or not Jesus heard Simon mutter or whether he simply perceived the obvious disapproval in his spirit, it doesn't say that in the scripture, but Jesus broke in on this awkward moment of silence with a tantalising hypothetical for Simon about two people having debts cancelled with one debt ten times larger than the other and asking Simon which debtor would have the greatest love for the money lender. Simon was compelled by logic to give the correct answer. And Jesus used that situation, contrasting Simon's lack of courtesy and honour to Jesus as his guest by ignoring him, basically neglecting him, compared to the sinful woman's extravagant act of loving appreciation and gratitude. The woman continued to wash and anoint the feet of Jesus with an outpouring of gratitude and love. And those sentiments were born out of a transformed soul. She'd already had a change in her heart. She'd heard John. She'd been brought to repentance. Sins have been forgiven. And she's hearing about the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. She's a different person already. And her extravagance in honouring Jesus with such a greeting of love outshone the Pharisees' unceremonious welcome to Jesus as his guest. And she was able to show now not just an appreciation but an acknowledgement of Jesus as the forgiving Messiah God that John had proclaimed him to be. She now had a testimony, a declaration. Now some guests ask the question, who is it that can forgive sins? Because only God can do that. And of course, Jesus brings home his point that the woman who had sinned so much and who was forgiven so much had also loved so very much in return. The woman is traditionally believed to be Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out from her. In the verses directly following the above account, it speaks about that. Uh, she is mentioned along with two other prominent women in the community who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and they, as well as others, provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. So it's giving us a picture of how Jesus had been gathering disciples. John is actually passing disciples across. People are gathering. They hear John. They hear John speaking 
about Jesus, the Lamb of God. And then Jesus begins to do the work of the Father, which is to draw people to God with forgiveness and mercy. And here is a, an extravagant demonstration of that powerful work being done. So in this outstanding story of contrast, we see the extremes of utter sinfulness and utter forgiveness, which are only possible in the expansive love and mercy of God. And in this mighty comparison, we have the major point of the story, which is that God has always desired oneness with us as his sinful creation. That's been his heart. And yet sin has separated us from him. But sin has not separated him from us. That's the big difference. He pursues us relentlessly into our repentance and faith because forgiveness and mercy are always on God's mind and heart. And he knows what he has on offer and he wants to see it presented and accepted. And here we have this beautiful story. His son begins to do this. Jesus lived forgiving and he died forgiving. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. From the moment mankind first sinned, it was God's loving and determined intention to make us aware of his forgiveness for our sinfulness. He's always had that on his mind. Our yes to that resolute appeal is our repentance. Sinfulness was mankind's willful self-determination to pursue its own self-interest, expressing its independent mindset of separation from God. People feel that separation. I'm not sure what it is, but it is a separation from God because they are self-centred. That's humanity. So God formalised his commitment to bridge the gap of separation that sin had caused between humanity and himself by making a covenant of partnership between himself and the nation of Israel. And Israel became the test case for all of humanity. What are we going to do about this sin problem? Because I want to forgive them. I want to show mercy to them. The old covenant was all about sin and forgiveness through a ritualised structure of blood sacrifice being made as an offering for their sins and instruction in wisdom and righteousness being given to them through the law so that they would know explicitly what sin they'd committed. They'd know what sin was. They didn't have a clue. They'd been brought up in a, an ungodly culture as slaves in Egypt. But they were given the commandments so that they'd know what sin was and they knew what they had to obey, but they never could and they never did. But the sacrifice would fit the sin. The covenant also explained all of the wonderful blessings of God and the promises because of their obedience. But it was highly structured. It was basically about getting to this sin problem and forgiveness was the answer. So this arrangement was as close that God could get to bridging the gap that sin had caused. Separation. God wanted them back. He actually wanted them, humanity to be one with himself. Now, the system that they had was not perfect. 
because it was only in the strength of the human will that people could try and stay in line with what God had commanded in the Old Covenant. And no one could ever manage to stay in alignment with God's requirements. But day after day, sins were committed, and day after day, the sacrifices were offered. And day after day, sins were forgiven. This went on for 1,500 years out in the open. Many were able to draw close to God over that time, but no one throughout that time could ever achieve the oneness with God that was his eternal purpose for us. The day after day sacrifices were offered to obtain forgiveness for explicitly known sins. But there was another kind of unclassified sin called unintentional sin. And this also marred the conscience of God's people because people knew they were falling short. Paul writes in Romans that all have sinned, but not only that, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So there were two things happening. People were sinning, but then unintentionally they're falling short. And they weren't sure of what sacrifice to bring to get forgiveness. For they weren't quite sure of what was going on with them. But their conscience was telling them they were falling short. So this kind of sin required not so much forgiveness, but mercy. And such was the mercy of God that he instituted a special day once a year called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for the cleansing of all the unintentional sins of all of Israel. Not forgiveness for this sin or that sin, for, for, for everything, to cleanse them. We read it in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, the high priest goes... And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The word unintentional, agnoema, means a shortcoming, an error, a sin of ignorance or thoughtlessness. That's what the Day of Atonement was all about. The greatest feast in Israel. These sins were offered up by the high priest on behalf of all of Israel and the blood of the sacrifice was offered with the sprinkling of blood seven times on the mercy seat. That's why the blood was put on the mercy seat because this was about mercy falling short, not willful sin. And this speaks of the fullness of the mercy that was on offer from God seven times. Now, seven times is also a biblical code for events that occur in the end time fullness of time. And Jesus told Peter, when he asked him about forgiveness, to forgive 70 times seven times. So there's something about this seven times forgiveness and mercy. Forgiveness and mercy are both to be, I believe, an emphasis of God in his end time purposes. I have an expectation to see more of this abounding in the days in which we live because it is so drastically needed, the forgiveness and the mercy. Now that was the greatest day in their year, Yom Kippur, and speaks to us not only of the abundance of God's mercy upon their sins of ignorance, but it speaks to us of God's mercy upon us today, where we unwittingly keep falling short. Have you ever noticed that? 
while intending to be faithful. But it shows God's eternal purpose for us as his children to know oneness with him through our faith. He is our atonement, our at-one-ment. The word atonement, the Feast of Atonement, is the actual Feast of At-one-ment. It's all spelt the same. It's just a matter of how you pronounce it. We have that sin that is unknown. It is unintentional. As you can read it in the concordance, the, what the word actually means. It means shortcoming, error, a sin of ignorance or thoughtlessness. I mean, it can be neglecting to show kindness or to speak kindness. It could be neglecting if you have something in your hand that could be helpful to somebody, whatever it might be, to withhold and not give to somebody in need. It can be careless. It can be not listening when somebody needs you to listen to what they're saying. It can be all kinds of dismissiveness or grumpiness or unnecessary harshness where a person isn't willfully intending to offend, but it just so happens that that's what's going on. And so what does this do? Well, God sees that and says, look, I know your heart. You want to, you want to love me. You want to be forgiven. But this somehow is something you're not seeing. Well, I'm covering that with mercy. Okay, now what's our response to that? Do we say, oh, that's good. Well, I can keep on doing it then. No. You can say, but that's just a bad habit. God says, yes. That's why I've been putting up with it for all this time. You've learned a bad habit. This is your manner. But I don't want to leave you that way. But I also don't want you to be separated from me. I've only got one choice. Because you don't know what you're doing. So I'm going to cover it with mercy. That's the Day of Atonement. And that is what at one means. And that was the greatest feast in Israel. It only happened once a year. It was for this sin. Now it's for us every day of our lives. And when God shows us and points us out, points out to us what is this unintentional thing, it is then up to us, like that woman, like Mary, who washed his feet, to be so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for showing me even something I didn't know. And from that point on, we're then accountable to be aware that there is something complete that God wants to do with our transformation, that only his grace can do. Only the Holy Spirit can then come and do that for us. But that's a process. And that was very important for Israel. They couldn't have peace. They could do all their sacrifices and get forgiveness, but this other thing was hanging around. And we're human too. Let's go on. The new covenant tells us that the law is now written on our hearts. So we're not carrying the Ten Commandments around with us to read necessarily, but they are in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can now clearly show us what sin is by convicting us. And we'll know. And he will reveal to us how great God's forgiveness is. And the Holy Spirit will be there helping to turn our hearts away from sin and turning our hearts towards God, and that's repentance. God relentlessly says, I want you closer and closer and closer until you are one with me. We don't have to offer sacrifices day after day because the one sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary covered them all. And the new covenant also tells us that our sins and our iniquities, he will remember no more. That's the new arrangement between us and God. Once they're confessed, 
He's not holding it against us. But it also tells us that he'll have mercy on all of our unintentional sins of ignorance, our constant falling short that puts us out of alignment with his perfection. Our day of atonement is all day, every day, because we still have sin within us in our humanity. And God still closes the gap of separation by giving us the bridge of forgiveness and mercy. He creates that. We don't... It's like there's God and there's us and our sins separate us, but not separating God from us, separating us from God because of our guilt and shame and running away and hiding and everything else. And there's a bridge and there's this river flowing. And does God say, well, come on, swim, swim harder, you can make it. Come to me, you can swim harder, you can make a better effort. God says, no, putting a bridge over. Here's my bridge. The bridge is forgiveness and mercy. And we often walk across the footpath of the bridge of forgiveness with the heart of repentance. And you know when you're having to do that. Yep, thank you for showing me that, Lord. I know, I'm walking across the bridge now, thank you. But you know what? I think we mostly move along a moving footway of mercy for all of our unintentional sins. Don't even walk. You're just carried. You're saying, oh, yes, I can see it. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me like I am and, and wanting to change this and bring me closer to you. We all need that moving footway all the time. And we all need to be consciously aware of its gracious provision all the time. Otherwise, you end up in condemnation not knowing what you're feeling guilty about. That's why mercy is needed. And that brings about the full transformation that God wants. So this story about Mary Magdalene had to be extravagant and emotional because it is a story of God's most determined intention for our lives, that we are at one with him and with peace in our hearts. He said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word peace is oneness. Now, only by knowing this inner peace can we possibly love him back. It's a good prayer to, to ask God, how, Lord, how, how do I love you? Well, show me your love. What is it? Well, we can see a whole stack of love in, in his bridge of forgiveness and mercy. And that's our way of loving him back. Jesus sealed that reality for Mary on that day by telling her that her faith had saved her. She went in peace, the peace of oneness with Jesus. So if you feel at any time that you need to be closer to God than you are at the moment, and that can be at any time, and that can vary, and that's what you've got to be watchful for. You think, well, I felt close yesterday, I don't now. That happens. But remember God's bridge of determined love for us. Just call it to mind. It is still about sin and forgiveness and mercy, but it is God's bridge and he wants the closeness. So if you want to be closer, take his offer. And it's for us to move confidently across this bridge of his grace, whether you're walking <laughs> or whether you're on the moving footpath. But it's his grace and it takes us into his kingdom life where all things are made new. Lord wants that oneness of us with himself, but he wants to open up for us a new kind of life where all things are made new, where you know he's always with you and the things that happen that are upsetting and disturbing, you can begin to trust God more. God's got an answer for this. It could be any kind of disruptive thing that happens 
on your journey. But you know, I can accept this and give thanks for God's working this somehow for good and he's going to show me himself in this and I'll draw closer to him. That's our God, our atonement, our at one in Jesus' name. Amen.